Okay, we're going to just take a couple of uh, Sundays. I'm actually kind of calling an audible here, uh, uh, changing my uh, own plan. And uh, uh, that means that uh, we're going to be in this passage in Colossians 2, 1 through 10, uh, today, uh, next Sunday, and the following Sunday. And so uh, it wasn't the original plan, but as I looked at this text, I began to see that, wow, this is great. And it's full of all kinds of insights, and why rush through it? So uh, I would encourage you to read, pray on it, meditate on it, Colossians uh, 2, 1 through 10. And then uh, going into uh, later into the summer, we're going to look at John chapter 1 and the implications of John chapter 1, particularly 1 through 14, uh, and, and uh, how that relates to us as a church. So this morning we're... Um, we're going to talk about first things, uh, we're going to talk about first priorities, returning to um, uh, a mission as a church, thinking in terms of first priorities. Uh, mission drift, uh, those of you who are in uh, the military, I think that's a term that comes uh, from the military. Mission drift Drift is something that can happen. Uh, people who are busy, excited, uh, want to get something done, lots of ideas, and then someone will raise their hand in a meeting saying, well, what is our goal here anyway? Uh, what are we trying to accomplish? And those are important people, and that's a good question. What is our goal? And mission drift uh, can happen to just about any group, and the church is susceptible to, to mission drift. Uh, loss of clear purpose, loss of clarity. Why are we here? What are we gathered uh, to do? Sometimes we uh, catch ourselves in a worship service saying things, and it's good to be actually caught saying something that you're not really sure is true about your life. That's okay. Uh, sometimes we, we sing such beautiful lyric uh, in our songs. I personally am evaluating my life. and I'm saying, wow, can, can I say that with honesty? And many of the truths are beautiful and true, but I have to com- confess there, I, I, I live in what's called unlived truth, or I traffic in unlived truth. And I can catch myself saying things that are not deeply meaningful to me. And uh, uh, that happened to me, actually. I was ca- uh, getting a bunch of uh, hamburgers down at McDonald's for a, a sixth grade. Uh, I think Amaris and her, was the sixth grade at the time. And so I, I bought 25 hamburgers at once at McDonald's. And it was around 1.30 in the afternoon. I was the only one in line. And I bought, I said, I'd like 25 hamburgers. And the girl said, well, is that for here or to go? <laughs> and I, I kind of, I said, you know, last time I ordered 25, I had them here, but I'll take them. I'll take them to go. Um, and that's a person saying something without really realizing what, what they're saying, right? Well, we're sort of like that, aren't we, as Christians? Um, we, we say a lot of things. Uh, Christians write a lot of books. Christians have lots of seminars. They have lots of conferences. We say a lot of things. Uh, I say a lot of things. Um, I was embarrassed, somewhat embarrassed. Uh, there was a preaching conference here about six months ago, and the guy leading it, uh, Mark Dever from the Washington, uh, Washington D.C. church, he had all of us stand, all, all these preachers stand, and then he slowly eliminated everybody, and he got the last two guys who had preached like, he began to ask us how often we've been preaching or how many times we had preached, and we had to do the math in our head, and we kind of roughly estimated it. 
And it was, it was ridiculous. I still think of myself as a rookie preacher. I've been doing this for a while, and uh, it was crazy embarrassing to be standing next to another guy, and between the two of us, we preached about 700 sermons. And I have to say, wow, that's a lot of unlived truth. <laughs> that, that humbled me. Uh, I, I felt very, uh, very uncomfortable realizing uh, that there's this gap in my own life. But I say this to say that when you think about a church's purpose, it's vitally important that we stop and think and reflect as a church to what, what are we about? What are we drawn uh, to? What do we preach about? And um, I love, the, I love the, the, the question one time I asked somebody uh, in joining Trinity in membership. We, asked, we sort of asked the question, now what draws you to the Trinity or what, what kind of made, the, made you decide this, this joining the church deal? And one uh, lady sort of sheepishly looked at her husband, like, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, uh, but she said, well, you have air conditioning. <laughs> uh, I love that honesty, but um, there probably are better reasons to join a church than, than the air conditioning. And I hope that uh, we will have what one commentator described this passage saying. As Paul begins to share with these Colossians this, the importance of Christ, Christ central, this commentator said this concerning Paul's goal with the Colossians. He said, a living grasp of Christ will keep us from being swept away by the current of prevailing popular opinion. A living grasp of Christ. And so this is how we as a church should return to first priorities. Christ is our first priorities priority he is to be a sweet preoccupation of the mind of our hearts of our consciousness and so let me just read this passage again and i'm going to read just verses one through four and let it become fresh again in your mind chapter two verse one for i want you to know this is paul to the colossians how great a struggle i have for you and for those at Laodicea, a region nearby, and for all who have not seen me face to face, Paul had never seen, visited the Colossians. In verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So Paul gives us a beautiful purpose statement in verse 4. The reason why I'm saying these things previously are so, so that you will not be drawn away by persuasiveness, by a popular notion, some philosophy, some idea that you will be so built up and so convinced of the importance of Christ that you will not be able to be moved from, from that stance. The, the Colossian heresy <clears throat> was really just a, a diminished view of Christ. There's some debate in scholarly circles what it was. The Colossians were fascinated with uh, angels. They were fascinated with the, the term principal, uh, principalities and powers, 
they were um, in danger of including Jesus as one of many sort of angelic-type beings, and they were also in danger of being influenced what, what was beginning to develop called Gnosticism. It wasn't full-blown at that time, but it, it was, they were in danger of this secret hidden knowledge that certain people had. And if you, if you practice certain disciplines and uh, ascetic practices, and if you were really disciplined and you were really in the, pursuing these mysteries, you would have this secret revelation given to yourself. You would be in the know. You would be in on mysteries of the universe. And Paul says, oh, there is a mystery, but it's a revealed mystery. It's the mystery of mysteries. What was going on in the mind of God to save mankind, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, God the Son. That's the mystery. So, the Colossians are unconvinced of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1, Paul is setting up how unique Jesus is. You cannot uh, diminish him in his role in the universe. Uh, Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. That can't be said of an angel. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. The Colossians were impressed with these dominions and rulers and authorities in the spiritual realm. And Paul is saying, the one who oversees that, who is... The, the one who is Lord over that realm is Jesus Christ. All things were created through him and for him, and be, he is before all things. This is Colossians 1.17. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Wow. You're in on the revealed mystery. That's Christ. Big things are happening, see. And uh, Paul now wants to convince the Colossians of this significant Jesus. So it's no throwaway knowledge. It can't be just tossed aside. It is to reset the Colossians back on the right track. It is how to get first things first. And to do that, you have to find Christ again. I've been reading this summer uh, a book by Neil Postman entitled Technopoly, which was written in 1992 before the Internet. And he writes these words mostly about show business, television, um, and going way back to even the Telegraph and all kinds of things like that. But he says this in 1992 regarding information. Listen to this. Information has become a form of garbage not only incapable of answering the most fundamental questions, but barely useful in providing coherent direction to the solution of even mundane problems. The tie between information and human purposes has been severed. 
Information appears indiscriminately, directed at no one in particular, in enormous volume and at high speeds, and disconnected from theory, meaning, or purpose. That's before the Internet. <laughs> what he's saying is that as modern people, we have made this great assumption, the more information, the better. What he argues in the book, though, is that the institutions that actually keep a culture together, schools, families, churches, courts, the institutions that actually hold a culture together discriminate with information. You go into a courtroom, you can't just blab on and on and on for days and days and days about everything you think might have happened. You're sworn to tell the truth and only the truth. And if you can't keep on track, a judge will help you. In other words, the whole thing is designed to get to the truth in an efficient way. And we're not here to talk about tabloids or television or what you baked this morning for breakfast. We're here to get to... It's an efficiency information place, you see. Information is discriminated uh, against in that way. A school, a school, there, there's a lot of books to study. And you decide as a school from, from preschool to, to 12th grade, you decide what will be studied and what will not be studied. And if the cultural institutions cannot discern information, cannot decide what is important, and they believe that everything is equally important, what you're going to have is you're going to have a, a society in, in dissolve. You have to have a court that knows what's to be prioritized. You have to have a church that has to, has to know what's to be prioritized. But what's happening today is that information, at least according to, uh, to Postman, information arises as a form of garbage. Pretty strong, isn't it? This means that we as a church have to have a great discerning ability. In Colossians, is presenting to us, Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3, a way of discerning that Jesus is the reason for your very existence as a church. Christ is a big deal. Christ is a massive implication for all things, not just for us personally and privately, but for the, but the, for the universe itself. He holds it all together and he's bringing it to a conclusion. That's pretty big stuff. And when a church loses its vision of Jesus Christ, it's in danger of not existing. So these words are to fuel our first passion. The Westminster Confession of Faith has a beautiful chapter on what's called Christology in chapter uh, the third paragraph describes Jesus in these terms. The Lord Jesus in his human nature, thus united to the divine, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure, having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, borrowing from Colossians 2, having in him all the, the, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell to the end that being holy, harmless, undefiled, 
and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of a mediator. And surety. A surety is one who appears in a courtroom on behalf of someone else. Which he took upon himself this office. He took upon himself this office. He has been furnished, furnished, thoroughly furnished to be the, the mediator. He is the center of God's saving work or activity. Returning to first priorities is central to the life of a church. It's a return to Christ. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, was asked, why do you want to have people have their Bibles, have the Bible in their own language? And his answer was, so they can find Christ. The rediscovery of the gospel The rediscovery of Christ brings about reformation for the church. When the church returns to her first priorities, our reformation is about to take place. Now, in returning to Christ, in recognizing that in him is all this fullness of wisdom and understanding, and in him is is this revelation of God for the church to return to this and for the church to worship him well and to be filled with with the knowledge of him, this is actually a way to love our neighbors. This is actually a way to to enter into our culture, our society, filled, convinced of his goodness, having worshipped him well, pursuing him, loving him. This helps us serve his purposes in our community. It is impossible to relish the riches of Christ and to remain passive to his purposes. And uh, if, 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 it, if it helps to explore this mediator, what's really happening, the theologians call this the, the union with Christ, our union with Christ. And it's a big deal. It's how you are saved, by being vitally connected to this mediator. And Paul wants the Colossians to move into this deeper, fuller assurance of understanding, to know that they know, to have a rich understanding of Christ, personally and corporately. And you could even say cosmically, into the big, big, big macro work that God is doing. Union with Christ can be described as union by faith. Believers are united to Christ by faith. There's a relational union, a personal relationship with Christ. There's a mystical union. Believers are united in the spirit. That's how theologians talk. There's a, if you really like philosophy, there's an ontological union, which is studying the, the nature of being. Believers share in the divine nature. We don't become divine, but we share in it. It's a mis- bit of a mystery there. There's a cosmic victory over the powers of darkness. There's a legal union. Christ suffers punishment owed to believers, and they are legally counted uh, innocent or having met the requirements of the law. There's a familial union that we are adopted into the family of God. You see, what I'm doing here is I am overloading you. I didn't know there was that much about Christ. I didn't know there was that, that, that much significance about the union I have with Christ. It goes on and on and on and on. And that's why Colossians is so dense in its words. 
where Paul is, 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 is layering thought upon thought upon thought because it really is thought upon thought upon thought. It is inexhaustible in its implications and its delight. There's uh, the objective aspects of this and the subjective. There's the historical and then again more the existential. There's the corporate and the individual. There's the forensic sort of the things that are declared about us legally. And then there's the transformative. This means that we believe that by knowing this Christ, you will be changed. It's a beautiful thing where we actually are brought into a, the union with Christ through God's unilateral declaration, this will be so, I will pursue you. We saw a profession of faith with Amanda. What it was was really God pursuing her, giving her the faith, giving her the gift of repentance, opening her eyes to a Savior. And in, in, in changing her, she, she came running to, to a Savior. You see, what's happening here is in Colossians when Paul says to them, to reach all the riches. Look at that right there in the middle of verse 2. To reach all the riches. That's our life in the church. That's what we do Sunday after Sunday. How are you reaching after all the riches? We shouldn't be afraid to talk about this in our small groups, our one-on-one -on -one encounters. We want people as they encounter us as a church to say, there's something in these people. We're not the gospel. There's something in them, as Manda testified. There's something in them that, that there's a quality about them. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to identify it, but it's there. And, of course, it's the reflection of Jesus Christ among us and in us. It's what Jesus does. So do you have a Savior like this? Do you have a Savior like this? Who is rich in the many ways that he is your mediator? That there are thought upon thought, idea upon idea, about how he is one who can sympathize with your weaknesses. Why do we have a, a central focus upon Jesus Christ? And why should he be so richly understood and rich, richly grasped? Because we will need a Savior like this to do cross-bearing, to bear a cross. We will need a Savior like this to do hard things. We will need a Savior like this for difficult things. In Christian circles, Scotty Smith, who uh, gave, uh, was here for the, the seminar in January on marriage, Scotty Smith talked about in Nashville, Tennessee, that there's always the church of the next buzz. And uh, he had seen people move two or three times to different churches and then finally come back to his church. Hi, we're back. <laughs> church of the next buzz. Well, I hope we don't ever become the church of the next bus. Some novel idea. I've seen a lot of ideas in the time that I've been in ministry. A lot of Christians are, are, funny, are funny folks. The, the kind of stuff that's actually talked about in the Bible, we think is okay, but there has to be some next buzz that will really, really do it. Yeah, I know Paul said that to the Colossians, but... There's got to be something else. And so really, having a Jesus that, this, that is this big 
It moves us into discipleship. It moves us into, into serving him. It moves us into mission. It's a call today for a clear focus as a church. I don't know if you know this, but in the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, uh, he records that there was a, a religious sect. Uh, they were known as the Dunkers. Um, and they refused to publish the tenets of their faith kind of an odd group, I'd say, for fear that by recording their belief system, they would be later, later limited by the unalterable nature of those utterances. So uh, we, what do you believe? Well, I don't know. We're, we're just, it's in process. The Dunkers. Now, um, I'm wondering if, uh, if there's something in me that I'm a Dunker. I wonder if there's something in me that I'm still recovering from, the inability to settle on the Christ who's revealed in Scripture. Is there a dunker in you? This means that, yeah, I hear Colossians 2. Yeah, I, yeah, I get it, sort of. But I don't want to publish it, see? I don't want to stand and profess it. I want to just lay low. We'll see what else happens. We'll see what other ideas come down, come down the road. You see, Paul unashamedly says that Christ has the preeminent place. The preeminent place in the universe, and it should be his place in our hearts. So the Dunkers don't fully understand what they are so close to discovering, and that is the all-satisfying, beautiful Christ who is worth defining and expressing and writing down uh, your beliefs about him. And so to discover our first priorities as a church is to really discover that we are seeking a living grasp of the riches of Christ. John Calvin writes this, and then I'll close. He says, the gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. It cannot be grasped by reason and memory alone, but it is fully understood, listen to this, it is fully understood when it possesses the whole soul and penetrates to the inner recesses of the heart. Very interesting. A very intellectual person says to truly understand it, to truly get the gospel, to truly get Jesus Christ, It's understood by the soul at the level of the heart. That's what you heard today in the testimony you heard today. Is Christ working in your heart that way? Have, Have you professed faith? Have you come to that point in your life where you see your need for Jesus Christ? Where his preeminence is undeniable And you sense this irresistible call within you that I I have to respond to this Jesus. We as elders would love to talk to you. If you find yourself curious about Jesus Christ, I want to know more about him. What were you saying in Colossians 2? What are the implications of that? Love to talk to you. Let's pray.